What an important topic we are talking about today. Mom guilt. I find a common thread amongst every single working mom I know, and that is every single last working mom I know. They constantly feel as though they're failing someone, be it someone at work, someone at home, or more likely than not, they feel as though they are failing everyone. And it seems working moms are fighting an impossible battle. Paula Ferris, in her latest book, You Don't Have to Carry It All, Ditch the Mom Guilt and Find a Better Way Forward, which is out today, March 7th, puts forward the argument that mom guilt is primarily an American issue. After losing her job in the pandemic, Paula founded Carry Media, which works to champion, advocate, and celebrate working mothers through content, resources, and storytelling, including, hopefully in the near future, a podcast about this, which we talk about on the show. You can hear it here first. That was my idea. Just saying. It wouldn't be too much of a stretch as the podcast she already hosts, Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris, is one of my favorites. Love her. You likely recognize Paula's name and her face. She is a journalist and a television correspondent. She's an Emmy Award winner and spent a large chunk of her career with ABC News, working as co-anchor of Good Morning America Weekend from 2014 to 2018 and as a co-host of The View from 2015 to 2018. Prior to those appointments, Paula co-anchored World News Now and America This Morning, and in September 2018, Paula became the senior national correspondent for ABC News, but life changed for her during COVID, as it did for so many of us, and now, as she puts it, she's working on her most important reporting yet. A mom of three herself and now living and running her company in South Carolina, Paula writes in the book that working moms are treated as risks instead of assets. But she argues, and I agree, that corporate America is actually better with moms at the helm. In You Don't Have to Carry It All, Paula reveals a game plan that will not only make being a working mom work, but also reveals why society needs to value mothers first. Let's dig into our conversation. Paula, it is an absolute honor to have you here today. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk about this really important topic with you. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's my honor to be here with you today. Well, we could honestly do an entire podcast season on just this book alone. And I hope actually (laughs) that you do. And I have a feeling that that might be happening because you're a podcaster as well. But we are talking about mom guilt today. Hmm. And I am not yet a mom myself, but right. every single last one of the moms that I know and I love carries some form of mom guilt. So absolutely. since you literally wrote the book on it, can you tell our <laughs> listeners what mom guilt is if they're not aware? If they're a mom, they probably are very aware. Yeah, for sure. And guilt? and for women that want to become moms, and there's a lot of a lot of young women that want to become moms, mom guilt is a very real thing that the majority of moms, and this is the thing I would tell moms currently, you're not alone, like 80, 90% of moms feel this guilt and it's feeling like you're never good enough. Um, when you're working, you should be momming. When you're momming, you should be working. Yeah. It's just this guilt that you're not enough. And first of all, to speak some life into it, you're not alone. Um, but B, like your kids are actually better because you work. And and it's very much an American thing. That's one thing I realized, Rachel, I had the honor of, of interviewing 
all kinds of historians and sociologists and, and renowned thought leaders to figure out how we can give working moms the support that they need and deserve. Um, and one thing I learned on this journey was that mom guilt is really an American thing. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't, mothers globally don't feel, yes, they face hardship uh, in, in other underdeveloped countries, but um, they take a great deal of pride in working outside of the home. There's not this guilt. Oh, I'm leaving my children. Who's raising my children? Are my yeah. children going to be worse off because I'm working? They don't have a choice but to work. And they take a great deal of pride in working. But then again, they also have wonderful social constructs, policy constructs, community to help support. So it's not a stress and strain to have a child. Mm -hmm. um, but the data shows that the children of working moms um, are actually better off for it. And I grew up with a stay-at-home mom. So like, I don't really, I can't speak into that, but I can speak into my kids' experiences. They mm -hmm. have a, a working mom, but sons are typically grew up to be better fathers and, and better partners, which we hear a lot about that um, unpaid labor at home, you know, that, that the women are the default and the moms are the default. So daughters turn out to be typically, you know, more confident. Um, and I just think, you know, you have to invite your kids into the conversation, let them know it's got to work for you. And also don't demonize your job. I, I did that for a long time. I'm like, oh, it's the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. But like the reality is the majority of mothers have to work and parents have to work to put food on the table. If we continue to demonize it, no wonder our kids will also do the same thing. They learn from our behavior. Absolutely. So invite, invite them into the process, invite them into the conversation. Look at this cool thing that mommy gets to do. Should we do it? Like bring them into the conversation and your kids are actually better off because you work. So don't feel guilty. Oh gosh. I wish every working mom I know, including my own mom, who was a working mom when I was a child could hear that, that we right. are better off because, and I remember going with my mom to take your daughter to work day. And I thought that right. was the coolest thing. And my mom had a wonderful career and there is so much to be learned from working moms and working moms are the busiest people alive. They are also <laughs> simultaneously too busy, too busy, too busy. They're also simultaneously the most unsupported people alive. Mm -hmm. And absolutely right in the book that being a working mom in America is harder than it's ever been. So mm -hmm. what led you to take on championing working moms as a cause close to your heart, not just through this book, but also sure. through Carrie Media, which you launched last year? Yes. And carry just means we want to carry the burdens of mothers. So that's where the name came up. But mm -hmm. so I lost my job at the beginning of the pandemic. I was in network news for decades and um, I had a choice to stay in network news or to really pursue this passion that had been, this fire had been lit in me um, throughout the years of, you know, being a mother in the workplace. I have three kids. So I'd been pregnant three times in the workplace. And I was like, you know what? I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I I just, you know, they say run towards what scares you. This kind of scared me because I didn't know how to be a founder or an entrepreneur or any of that, but I just had this burning passion to give mothers in the workplace a voice, whether we get to work, have to work or want to work, right? So it, I, that's really kind of where it all started. And um, we launched Carrie about uh, what, a year, a year and a half ago and mm -hmm. got this book coming out. So um, it's, it's exciting, but it's a little terrifying too, you know, to put yourself out there, but I really believe being a working mom should work. Um, my, my, my fire is to give working moms the support that they need and deserve. And the reason is there's a why, because of that, there's a, there's a why that you have to explore. You know, we talk about supporting families and blah, 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 but unless Rachel, people believe the importance of supporting families and mothers in the workplace, they won't, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so many of the issues we face as a society, for everyone, I'm not just talking families, parents, mothers, 
so many of the issues we face as a society are in direct result to how we devalue families and culture and policy and also how we treat mothers in the workplace. So I'm like, I wanna do something about that because supporting families is not just the right thing to do. It's actually like, I I learned in writing this book, it's good for companies' bottom lines. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't support families and we make it more difficult to have children, we'll have fewer children, labor shortage, yeah. economic crisis, like that impacts everyone. So supporting families and working moms isn't just the right thing to do. It's actually good for our country's bottom line. It's good and it benefits everyone. Even you, you, you say you don't have children yet. Like, I wrote this book for you. Yeah, I need you in the fight, Rachel. I need oh, Matt I'm in here the fight. With you. Right here. And 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 we can't do this without you. And what what I want culture to understand is the the more family friendly we can make our work environments and our culture and our society, it benefits everybody. Not just me, the one who has three kids, you know, and hanging on by a thread. It benefits you. It benefits the single guy who has a dog and wants to surf. It mm-hmm. benefits everyone. And if companies don't take note, they're going to face a hiring and retention crisis if they haven't already. Well, perfect segue to my next question. That's in the workplace, working moms are treated as risks instead of assets. But you argue that corporate America is actually better with moms at home. I agree. But why is this so? Well, um, a couple of things. There's the perception of motherhood. And then there's the reality. The perception is, you know, once you have a kid, you're not going to be as committed. Um, you're going to be counting Cheerios in the corner. But the reality is, and this is what was really fascinating to me because I interviewed scientists and, mm-hmm. you know, sociologists and and um, physiologically learned that becoming a mother, whether the baby grew in your heart or your tummy, um, becoming a mother equips you with empathy you didn't have before, efficiency, courage, vision, leadership, emotional IQ. Like I'm actually equipped uniquely with all of these things through motherhood. So don't treat me like a risk and a liability. Mothers are scrutinized more and we're paid less. We're paid 70 cents on the dollar compared to fathers, which when, and again, not a case against men, this is a case for working mothers, right? Right. Which will benefit everybody. Um, But yeah, it's, it's really, really frustrating because there's a thing called the mom penalty. Once you become a mother, you're passed over on promotions or you're deemed not a viable leader. Whereas it's Mm -hmm. the inverse for fathers. Once they have children, they're deemed more valuable, more valuable leaders and they're paid more. So, um, and, and it's just, you know, we continue this cycle, we'll continue this cycle of, of imbalance when it comes to unpaid and paid labor, because if women continue to make 70 cents on the dollar, of course it makes sense for the woman to stay home over over the man, right? Because he's making more. Right. So you'll continue this cycle of, of, and even poverty, because the majority of mothers, 70%, it's so different than when I grew up and when my mom grew up, 70% of mothers today will have to be the primary breadwinner for their family. And if we continue, do you see what's going to happen, Rachel, if we continue to pay mothers yeah. less than yep. what they're worth? Yep. So that's why I'm out there beating the drum. I don't, don't treat us less than, you know, we need to be valued. We need to be celebrated, but instead of being scrutinized and paid less, we are furthering society. And if we don't have kids, we don't have a society. Don't punish mm-hmm. us for doing that, please. So. Oh, amen. I could just, again, this could be a whole <laughs> podcast series. So a commonality I find among every working mom I know is that they constantly feel 
as though they are failing someone. Mm-hmm. If they yeah. are succeeding at work, they feel as though they're failing at home. If 100%. they're succeeding at home, they feel as though they're failing at work. And yeah. oftentimes, to be brutally honest, they feel as though they're failing everyone and everything. Yep. And you write in the book, it's impossible to be all things to all people. And you mentioned this at the top of the show, but you write that mom guilt doesn't exist elsewhere to the extent it does in the US. So when did, this is maybe an impossible question, but when did sure. we as women learn that we had to be all things to all people? And how can we unlearn this oh, as a girl. society? That's such a hard question. No, it's not. I, I, I got a little, I nerded out when I wrote the book too. Um, and there's a whole section of American family and how we got to this point. And really it can all be traced back to June Cleaver in the 1950s, rather. We kind of romanticize this era and I am guilty of doing the same thing. Oh, let's go back to those traditional families where the father worked, the mother stayed home. Everything was peachy keen, right? Well, when you look at what was really happening, what was good for a select few, for part of the people, part of the time was on the backs of marginalized. Women couldn't work. Blacks were forced out of the workplace. Uh, A third of our country was in poverty. Teen pregnancies had a huge spike. Men came home with lipstick on their collar. What were women going to do? They couldn't, they didn't have jobs. And if they did, they were paid significantly less. Mm -hmm. But it really, I I learned that like mom guilt was kind of born in the kitchen of June Cleaver because Mm -hmm. it was in this point of time where women started to define themselves in those roles as the the nurturer and i'm going to do all like they they threw themselves into makeshift work right so they took on more work they were like it, it took 55 hours for their laundry list of items to clean the house right they that didn't ask for help when you when you when you laid that out that was fast crazy yeah. they didn't ask for help because they were like no this is my badge of honor this is what i'm doing and they weren't actually spending time with their children i mean we spend more time this blew my mind we are spending more time with our kids today as single moms and working moms than moms in the 50s and 60s did because they wow. threw themselves into this makeshift work, right? And that became their identity, right? They didn't ask for help from anybody. Their identity was in um, nurturing nurturing the family and taking care of of the house. Now, previously, like up until that point, the most traditional family in America was the one where the men the man and the woman, the the husband and wife worked alongside of one another. They co-labored together. They co-produced. They raised their children together. Unless you had, you know, disposable income, um, Victorian era, unless you had disposable income and could hire servants, you know, you were co-laboring, co-producing, doing everything together. And it wasn't really until the 50s where we're like, we did a disservice to men. We're like, your only job is to bring home the bacon. And we Mm -hmm. told women, your only job is to nurture. And Mm -hmm. we thought that this was going to create, you know, clear constructs and bonds of obligation. But what it did, it is it backfired because men then withdrew from the home and women Mm -hmm. started having, having identity crises. And then they needed to start working again because they needed two incomes. Mm -hmm. So it's like in June Cleaver, we decided at that point, we were the motherhood, we were going to, we were going to strap everyone on our back and we weren't going to ask for help. Right. And we still Mm -hmm. carry a lot of that today. Like we feel like help is a dirty word. If I ask for help, I am a failure or I'm weak. But if you look in other healthy interdependent structures globally, that's part of it. Like they depend on one another that they're not putting as much on their backs as we are here. And they're certainly asking for help. They have family members that live with them, but help is also much more affordable. It's not a dirty word to say I'm outsourcing, right? So it's this, it's this mother martyr mentality that we have here in America. And 
and I traced it back to the kitchen of June Cleaver. No, and that's Damn, one of my hammer. favorite parts of the book. It, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the book is that it's such an interesting history of working moms in America yeah. in order to Thank figure you. out how we got to here. And you also write in the book that today, 90% of moms feel burned out. Honestly, mm-hmm. I am shocked that's not a hundred percent. Yeah, I know. But right. Have we ever seen a crisis of burnout as much as we do in modern times for working moms? No, it's burnout is at all all-time highs. And it's because there's these expectations, these unrealistic expectations that society has placed on us and that we have placed upon ourselves. So much of solving this problem, not just has to do with shifting attitudes about family and shifting policies, but it has to come from us to say, I need help. I can't carry it all. I don't need to wear my mom martyr badge as a status anymore. I got to put that away. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop some balls every single day. And for me, that has helped. I don't live and I I dropped the perfectionism a while ago. I tell my kids every day, I'm like, I'm going to drop a ball. Mm -hmm. Just expect me to drop a ball because I'm imperfect and that's going to happen. But the ones I'm going to drop are the plastic ones. I'm not going to drop the glass ones. The glass ones are really important. So that helps me to discern what's a priority and what's not. But also it helps me to just live in that grace of myself and for my kids to give me grace. I can't carry it all. I'm going to drop balls. I'm human guys. So I'm going to stop putting on this, this, this false, you know, facade that everything's okay. It's not, and it's okay. And I'm going to drop balls and we're going to move on and I'm going to ask for help. Yeah. I'm going to ask for it. So, I mean, I had to travel a couple of days for work last week and it was like, I summoned my army and yeah. a couple of years ago, I would have felt like oh, I can't impose on them. Right but now I'm like, no, I need them. I need them. I can't do it without you. And I, and I know you can't do it without me. I'm the, I am showing up for you just as much as you're showing up for me, build that community, that tribe, whether it's friends or family. For mm-hmm. me, it's really some really close friends that are like, yes, anything. And we do, we do life together and we, and we keep it real. <laughs> That's the only way forward. And, and speaking of helping and, and outsourcing the work, how can men help in this effort Mm -hmm. because we need our, we need men to help in this effort as well. It's not just us women. Yeah. I I have a a chapter dedicated to inviting men into the conversation because I love, I have two boys and I have a daughter and two sons and I'm Mm -hmm. obsessed with my sons and I understand there's a special connection. We want to kind of do everything for our, for our boys, especially. Um, but, uh, my husband and I have this conversation all the time, you know, there's, there's that division of labor, you know, like, you know, who's helping, who's doing what. And, he and I have become such a better team. Um, we're working together. Like dinner is always a pain in the butt, but I will say like teaching your sons, it starts, it starts in your homes, teaching your sons. Like my 13 year old was doing his laundry last night. I don't think he was doing it right, but that's okay. Right. Like just <laughs> but let he was them, doing it. He was, he was doing his laundry. He was doing like, mm-hmm. I want him to help. And it's, and yes, it's easier for me just to do it by myself, to cut the vegetables, to get to, I'm inviting them into the process. We are on mission together as a family, but also I think one of the greatest things that, that men can do, well, we have to realize they already come into this conversation feeling less than and intimidated and like they're the worst human on the planet because that's yeah. what we've done to men. Yeah. Um, they're dealing with their own patriarchy. Like my only job is to provide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, one of the greatest things I think men can do, and it may sound a little like counterintuitive is to take their paternity leave or to fight for it. Because what that does is out of the gate, it says that the mother is not going to be the default caretaker, Mm -hmm. manager of the family home, everything. I'm in it with, we are in this together. A friend of mine, my husband never took paternity leave. So I don't know what that feels like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but a friend of mine 
um, and the more research that I've done on it, I've, I've realized like paternity leave could be a huge answer to helping uh, supporting working moms. So she took six weeks and her husband took six months because he works for a French company here in America. Mm -hmm. She went back to work and she's like, I had no idea how much him taking paternity leave would change the entire dynamic of our parenting and our relationship. Wow. And you look at what paternity leave does, it increases bonds with their children. Um, it, it helps improve their relationship with, with their spouse because you see maternal postpartum rates um, will diminish because the, the man is there like being part of it, but he's in it from the very beginning. It's not like he's coming home and, and oh, and the, and the mom's the default for everything. He mm -hmm. is in it. There are, there are true partners raising yeah. these children together from the very beginning and no longer is she the default. They are in it together and it just levels the playing field right out of the gate. That's so brilliant. That's so, that's, it, it's just this. My dog wants to join. Sorry. I know no, you guys can't. The dog her, can come on. We, we so welcome needy. dogs. On, we welcome dogs on this show. She's so needy and have a dog too. <laughs> that always helps. And that's another child as well. You really ask for. She's so my favorite. She's my favorite kid. Yeah. Well, don't tell your other kids that. But as we begin to close our time together, I, I have to talk about this because this absolutely riles me up. Again, I'm not yet a mom, but when I see my mom friends, struggle with this. I, I'll just quote you. You write in the U.S. it costs more to send a toddler to daycare for a year mm. than it does to send a college student to an in-state university for the same amount of time. That is insane. And I That's see that crazy. in my friends all the time who want to go back to work, but it doesn't make financial sense nope. for them to go back to work often. Nope. So what can be done about this? Because as I said, so many of my mom friends struggle. You talk about reentering the workforce and the, and the, the deck of cards is stacked against working moms anyway, yes, yep. but then my friends, as I said, are struggling to reenter the workforce because they can't justify the cost of daycare. And yep. so they instead opt to stay home when yep. they'd rather be working outside of the home. So what can we do about this? Because this is a real problem. I mean, the monopoly that daycares have is it's, it's wild and it's it so expensive. And, and when, when I read that statistic in the book, that just, that blew my mind. So it what, doesn't make you want to have kids, does it? I mean, honestly, of, it kind of doesn't because yeah. it's like, I don't know if I can afford that because it's, I don't ever want to stop working. I'm passionate about my career, but sure. I also, you know, I want to have children, but I don't like, I'm sorry, but I, I, my dream used to be a stay at home mom. And, and for those that that is their dream, all power too, but that's not <laughs> mine. That's not mine. And so I just, I, I just, I worry about being able to justify the cost of going back to work. And that's right. a, a wild problem to have. Yeah. And so not only are we paying the exorbitant amounts for childcare, we're paid less, right? We're paid right, cents right. less. So it only makes sense for us to stay home. And, and there's a, there's a caveat here, not just affordable, but quality childcare, because our children, here's the thing. It's a yes or no um, answer. Are, are children our greatest natural resource in the future of this country? Yes or no. And, and, if, and if we say yes, then we need to start investing in our children. And that means from the social policies, I mean, a $500 write-off at the end of the year on my taxes is is ludicrous. It, wow. is, it yeah. is offensive. Yeah, That's not doing me any good, especially, you know, I live in a small town, South Carolina now, but when I lived in Chicago and New York, I mean, that would pay for half a week of daycare or a week right. of daycare, right? right. So right. Um, it's either children are our greatest natural resource in this country and the future, or they are not. We need to start investing 
in children and in childcare. And we, but we have to understand like the dynamic of what's actually happening. If it's so expensive and women are paid less, this, that's why we're seeing what we're seeing, right? Women having to leave the workforce. But I think there are ways um, that we can do that from a social policy. Um, corporations can offer, this is one of the, the I, I outline in one of my chapters what corporate America can do. And there's a myriad of creative solutions outside of providing family leave. But one of them is childcare stipends, mm-hmm. um, providing some sort of stipend. And and the, the truth is, if you take care of a family, if you take care of those employees, they will be your most productive and loyal employees. They won't That's leave. right. And one of the greatest costs of doing business is retention. So taking care of your employees in big ways and small, um, some companies that can't afford that, they'll say, hey, well, you can bring your your baby to work until they're mobile. And then that child kind of becomes part of the culture. Everyone's invested in your child. Other other companies say, you know what, you can select your own hours. And we know that employees, not just parents, but the majority of employees, 95% want they want hybrid locations, flex locations, flexible work mm-hmm. locations um, or options. So there's a lot of things that can be done. But I think, yes, childcare is huge and it could solve a lot. But it's just one step in the process. We have to, first of all, explain why it's important. Children are our future or they're not. We got to do something about it. Absolutely. And I hope you do a podcast series on this. I could talk to you about this forever. This is, even though, again, even though I'm not yet a mom, I will be someday. And this is incredibly important to me, not just for my future, but for what I'm seeing in the present with with those in my circle who are well, maybe you can join me if I do because it's I'm, really important yeah I think it's so important if we want to to affect true change mm-hmm. um we need it can't just be moms in the fight like we need we need we need single women single yeah. men um mm-hmm. we need we we need everyone to come alongside of us in this fight and so I would invite I'm inviting you into the process right I'm because here, yeah. what we're doing like if it's good everything that we're fighting for, it's going to benefit you too, Rachel. It's going to benefit our entire country. So I invite you into the fight and thank you for locking arms with me. I'm right here. Yes. I will do a podcast. I haven't even thought about that. Maybe I'll do a series on it. You okay. really should. You could, you could so join me. That I'm, yes. Okay, Paula, don't tempt me with a good time. I'm right, <laughs> I'm right there. But my last question for you, and this is so powerful, and I just, I can't wait to see more of what you do in this space, but the subtitle of the book is ditch the mom guilt and find a better way forward. So mm-hmm. as we wrap up today, what is the better way forward, Paula? Where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, the better way forward, it's very layered. Like I said, it's 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 societal shifts, it's cultural shifts, it's policy shifts, right? But it really, the biggest shift starts with us. It starts with us realizing that we don't have to carry it all. Yes, mm-hmm. we can, and I'm sure we have tried to, um, but that's probably why we're burned out. Yeah. Starting with us realizing I can't carry it all. I need help. Okay. I I need to find a tribe. I need to find community, but also I'm going to stop placing these impossible, unrealistic expectations upon myself. I'm just going to stop. I don't have to carry it all anymore. It starts with us and girl, we got a lot of work to do, but, but, but let's control what we can control right now. So that's one of the biggest things that we can control is, is stopping, like turn in your mommy martyr badge, just turn it in right now. Yep. Right? No more drop it on no the more. table and walk drop, away, drop it on the table, drop your bag that you're carrying. I know you could live off the contents of it for probably two weeks. So just drop it, stop trying to carry it all. Hmm. 
This is such an important topic. The book is such a step in the right direction. The book is called, You Don't Have to Carry It All, Ditch the Mom Guilt and Find a Better Way Forward. It is out March 7th and is such a necessary read. Paula, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Rachel. I can't wait to have you on my um, podcast about it, apparently, that we're doing. I'm I'm there. You got it. I hope you weren't kidding about that podcast offer because I am so there. Moms, soon to be moms, someday moms, or those who support moms alike, which should be all of us, grab a copy today of You Don't Have to Carry It All, Ditch the Mom Guilt, and Find a Better Way Forward. And let's link arms in this fight. It is such an important cause to rally behind together. We are so quickly approaching our 100th episode. This is episode 98 that you're listening to right now. So let's join back here on Thursday for episode 99 to chat about, of all things, J. Crew. That is what I love about I'd Rather Be Reading. We can jump from mom guilt to J. Crew in two days. Like it's no big deal. And it's not. We are versatile here. We just love nonfiction books. That's the common through line. Talk soon. Thank you.